Are you ready to take your mindset to an even higher level on and off the mat? Then you're ready for the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, where business owners and aspiring entrepreneurs open their minds to new ideas and concepts that will help you during your entrepreneurial journey and during your consistent pursuit of becoming the best version of yourself personally and professionally. It's time to go beyond the mat with the host of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, Gustavo Dantas. Welcome to episode 85. I'm your host, Gustavo Dantas, and today we have second degree black belt Malachi Friedman. Malachi is the owner of ATT American Top Team, Low Country in Charleston, South Carolina. We talked about entrepreneurship, life, and we talk a lot about jiu-jitsu, teaching and studying jiu-jitsu, mindset, visualization, and injuries. He has struggled with multiple delicate neck surgeries. However, his passion for teaching jiu-jitsu and his family keep bringing him back with incredible resilience to overcome his injuries, to keep learning and sharing his knowledge with the BJJ community. His story inspired me to title this episode, Resilience in BJJ and Life. Stick around for my final thoughts after the interview when I share with you three strategies to deal with injuries. Stay tuned right after Jiu-Jitsu Tribe's message. The BJJ Mental Coach Podcast is a proud supporter of the nonprofit organization Jiu-Jitsu Tribe, formerly Live Jiu-Jitsu. Jiu-Jitsu Tribe supports social projects who offer free Jiu-Jitsu classes to unprivileged children and young adults in impoverished communities, inspiring, impacting, and improving their lives, keeping them away from drugs and crime, creating hope, and creating champions on and off the mats. Your donation helps projects to pay for their monthly expenses and facility makeovers. As a supporter, the BJJ Mental Coach donate all the profit of all online courses and merchandise to Jiu-Jitsu Tribe. For more information, please visit www.jujitsutribe.org. Let me introduce you to today's guest, Malachi Friedman. Malachi is a second-degree black belt under Ricardo Liborio. Upon embarking on a career in MMA, he found the level of instruction to be lacking in his hometown of Charleston, South Carolina, which prompted a move to Portland, Oregon to train at the world-renowned Team Quest. Eventually, he began training at American Top Team to further his MMA career. It is at this time he suffered a serious neck injury, which resulted in multiple surgeries. Unable to continue to train, he transitioned to coaching BJJ at American Top Team in Coconut Creek, Florida. He has since opened his own school in his hometown of Charleston as ATT Low Country. Maliki also has several instructional BJJ DVDs available at Budo Videos, Dijitsu, and BJJ Fanatics. Maliki continues giving his students what he believes is a new way of teaching Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and the BJJ world, his contributions in instructional and seminars. Maliki, welcome to the podcast. Hey, how are you doing, sir? Happy to be here. All righty. So tell us how martial arts got into your life and eventually jiu-jitsu. Yeah, so um, going through high school, I was kind of like a little bit lost. Um, I wanted to be tough. Um, and I didn't know how to be tough. So I kind of just hung out with the kids. Usually the kids that were the tough kids were the bad kids. And so I, I got into drinking. I got into you know, because that led into fighting. Um, and around 18 or, or around 18 years old, I was, I was living on my own and just getting in fights on the street, but also we would have fights in the front yard. 
like our best best friends fighting in the front yard. Um, and then one day a friend of mine basically just like kicked my ass, like up and down, submitted me left and right, took my back, choked me, and I just had no idea what it was. He was a blue belt in jujitsu. Um, so pretty much every day after that, we trained in the house, you know, getting like rug burn uh, on our knees and I was just getting just messed up left and right. And I was just, I fell in love with it. Um, and then I stopped doing more drinking because I started to go training and I wanted to be the best at training. So I couldn't be the best at training being hung over. And so I just dove right in. Right on. And how do you feel jujitsu relates to life? I think jujitsu and life in general are both very uh, similar. Um, if you show up to life without focus, without purpose, without dedication, you're not going to go very far. Um, the same thing is with jujitsu. Uh, you got to show, like just showing up to jujitsu doesn't mean that the techniques are going to go into your brain and you're going to be good. No, you have to show up and fail. And you have to keep going at it. And even when you get to a high level of jujitsu, if you just say, okay, I'm done, it'll pass you by. Like the modern jujitsu is, has really taken over. And uh, if I'm not aware of what a barambolo, if I'm not, uh, I don't know the new leg lock game, then my students are going to get beat. Uh, and it's the same thing in life with, if I just say, okay, I, I've, I've come as far as I want. You know, that's all I'm going to get out of life. Life will pass me, pass me by and it will evolve. So it's very similar in that you have to put, the work you put in is the, what you get out of it. You know, if you put the hard work in, you'll get good stuff out. So when did you have kind of the spark to pursue uh, teaching jujitsu, then eventually um, having your own school? I know that you got involved with MMA, as you already mentioned in the intro, and it got injured. So what was the moment then when you realized that, you know what, I want martial arts to be a part of my life for a long time, for the rest of my life, let's say? Yeah, I, I think... Um the moment that I moved to Oregon and I was training every single day um, and I knew that I mean, there's, it's, it's almost like an obsession. You, it's, you can't get away from it. It's, it chews at you every moment. You know, like you're thinking about jujitsu, you're thinking about training, you're thinking about what moves you need to know or what, what you can learn. I, I remember there was like a, a very long time ago, there was a website called Subfighter, And that was like the first like YouTube, this was before YouTube had jujitsu videos on it. And I would find videos and try to replicate them. And I would watch fights and try to find a little bit of jujitsu out of the fights of how they were passing or how they were get, taking people down. Um, I, I always wanted to be an MMA fighter. I always wanted to be great. But I knew that the, the chances of being a champion are very, very slim. You know, it's like even if you train your entire life and you work as hard as you possibly can, being UFC world champion is hard. So I always knew that I had the, the mind for studying. and I would take notes of like fights. So I still have notes where I say like Shogun Hua passes guard, like looks like a stomp, but he slides through on and passes the guard that way. And I have all these notes from years and years and years ago. And when the injury happened, I was, I didn't want to let go of MMA. Um, it, it was really, really hard for me. And I'd never put the gi on. I was kind of embarrassed to put the gi on because um, I didn't know how to tie my belt. It was very traditional. MMA is not traditional. You know, you can walk on, you know, almost like blow snot if you want to. And the other one is way, way different. So I felt really out of place for the gi and in a traditional martial arts sense. But I just kind of suffered. Laborio told me like, hey, don't go anywhere. You're going to be a coach one day. And 
I just stuck with it and I took everything I could. And now owning a gym, it's, it just made sense. It's, it's the only thing I want to do. You know, it's even though I'm hurt, I'm hurt currently. I just had back surgery and I, I still show most of the technique in every class, even if it hurts or it doesn't hurt, I'm, I'm hooked. And how was uh, that transition of you being a coach, just being a coach to then having the responsibility of having your own school? Because that's a big difference. You're still doing what you love, but now it's on you, all the responsibilities on you. So how was the transition? I think uh, it was easier for me because the, an American top team is such a large team. And you're gonna, you're gonna, you're basically vying for, uh, for for students to coach. So I'm like, I'm making private private money here from privates, but I'm also working with UFC fighters, and I'm trying to work with the right guy and put all my time into it because you don't know who's gonna who's gonna blossom, you know. And then when I uh, went to open the gym, it's probably the scariest moment of my life because I only money I have, this is it. This is like rolling the dice, and I have nothing else. Um, but I know that I control it. So I'm really lucky that my students see that I'm a quality coach. Um, and they, they, they've been with, most of my students have been with me for five years since I've opened. And it, even though it's scary it being all on you, only you can fail yourself. You know, Only you can not show up and teach classes. Only you can not give the best classes you can possibly give. So you know, it's, it's a balancing act. It's kind of like where maybe I get a fighter, maybe I get some, some attention. Or maybe they don't go with me. And then here they come to me and I have all the options to show them how, how much I care about it and how much I care about their success. So I want to go back to like five years ago, by the way, we're recording this in January 2020. For you to expand on the mindset, well, how was when you opened? Because there are a lot of people who are listening who are maybe... They, they wanted to do, take that leap of, man, uh, let's say jujitsu related or not. Could it be someone that is an instructor open up a school or maybe someone that is working on something that they just don't like and they wish they were doing something else and becoming an entrepreneur? So I want you to expand a little bit more on the mindset and how did you deal with some of the negative thoughts that kind of, it's normal, you know, it's, as you mentioned, it's yeah. a scary uh it, situation as soon as you get it when say man this is all i got so how did you deal with it um i think a lot of my stuff in my life is fear-based and I, I know that that's probably not like a like a strong mindset but i know how easy it is to pass people that don't work hard um and i i'm always worried even though i'm injured and i'm not training as much as i would like I'm worried people will know more jujitsu than I know. I'm going to lose the touch or I'm going to lose the feeling of what it should feel like. Um, the same thing with when I was opening the gym is that my, my wife was a tremendous help. She, she got the, the, the building up and running when I was working with Kimbo because I was out of town. I was not even in town when the gym was being set up. Um, but I think it was that, uh, that knowing that I could fail and I have to look at what my work ethic was. I mean, I did a, I, I didn't even use it. I did a, like a thousand page business plan. I, I studied it. I made sure I looked at, at, I read books. I read every single book about martial arts gyms. I, I went and talked to uh, this guy named Mike Metzger, who's amazing, amazing at, at, at how to sell, how to make, I, I think the biggest thing you have to look at is 
if you're not in the gym every single day and you're and you're staying at home because you want to relax, maybe it's not right for you yet. Um, I mean, the, I was in the gym, even if I couldn't roll, I was watching, I was studying, I was doing everything I could possibly do. And I knew that I know that my passion is so strong that I'm, I have to rub off to some people. I'm not going to not going to be for everybody, but some people are going to see my passion. They're going to see how much I care about it. And it's taking a leap of faith. But if you're not putting the work in, you know, elsewhere, let's say you I want to open a gym or I, I want to do this and you're at the gym two times a week when you could be there five. That's just that's going to show you, well, I go to work every five, five days a week. Well, yeah, but. I know people that go five days a week to jiu-jitsu and work. And if you can do that with that kind of enthusiasm and that kind of work ethic, then it's probably going to work out for you, you know? Yeah. And what you mentioned about uh, basically the, the importance of the preparation, and this is something for people who maybe aspiring entrepreneurs to make sure that, you know, you're getting into a business and prepare yourself and do your homework. And since I mentioned about the mindset, uh, how was the mindset and basically the preparation that helped uh, like to say that the hard work is the the root of self-confidence. You know, when you know that, man, uh, I'm studying, I'm doing whatever I can uh, to get more information. You go in like, yeah, you may go with fear, but you move along with the fear. You you know, it's not like the the, the fear is going to disappear. But I feel that this is with uh, everything, the importance of uh, the preparation and, and, and the process. And yeah, the, the outcome is just the consequence. And now uh, five years, you know, in, in 2020, which is awesome. And what did you say in those five years, your toughest entrepreneurial experience, something that, because at least for me, I not like I, I went to school for business. So you just kind of learn along the way and making the mistakes and trial and error. So what do you say some of the difficulties that you have or maybe maybe a struggle that you had and what did you learn from it? So I got so this always goes back to my injuries a tiny bit because it's a big part of your life. If, if you're, you know, when they say your health, you know, like healthy and happiness, you know, as long as you're healthy. You know, that's all that matters. It's true. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's a big uh, motivator, you know, like when you realize that you may have something taken from you, but you have to change into something else. So I think I have two, two, two big issues my, with my struggle. I would say one was doing everything like learning business and that maybe I did everything myself. Me and my wife did everything. We did the, we did the billing. We made, we did the advertising. We did the marketing. We did everything because we couldn't see the money pay off. And I think we just ran ourselves ragged and we're like this mid tier gym where we're, we're doing well, but only well for ourselves. So we basically bought a job for ourselves. Um, and then noticing like, Hey, I know it's scary. I know it's, it, I may not want to put my faith into this, like, you know, like Rainmaker or uh, spark or these different kind of companies, but that's what they do. They do this so that you can make more money. And even though you're, you're coming out of your pocket with $299, $399, maybe you don't do it right away. Maybe you wait till you're making some money, but I should have started that a long time ago. I should have invest. Uh, my wife is at the front desk. I should have invested more in salespeople. We should, you know, it's all those things that you're scared to let any money out of the door because your fear is that it won't help you. Like, well, this costs too much. I can do it myself. And I did everything myself. 
and I ran myself burnt out just, you know, and looking at your members come and go it as a, as a, as an instructor, it hurts. But as a, like when you're looking at all the paperwork and you're seeing like this guy quit or this guy stopped coming, or it's like, it affects you personally because it's yours. You know what I mean? And I know every one of my students, I interact with every one of my students. And so I think one of the big things is trying to take a step back and be a business as and then separate myself from the, as a business, as a instructor and try not to combine the two, try not to get my feelings hurt, try to understand that it's business and not everybody that quits hates you or didn't like your jujitsu. It's just that it didn't make money sense for them to, or they just weren't committed to it. Um, so that's always, you know, I think that, understanding that I, I should have been involved with Spark. I should have been, been involved with Market Muscles. I should have been involved with these different brands uh, that would have helped me take a lot of weight off my shoulders. And I didn't do it. I didn't, I'm just doing it now, five years later. So. Yeah. I, uh, matter of fact, I do use both Market Muscle and Spark. And I totally understand. And I know that for people who are starting or we're talking about jujitsu school, it's a must, man. There's no other way around because there's one point that you're not going to, maybe you can do in the beginning, but it's totally worth it. Especially right. if you're thinking about growth and how we're going to manage having, you know, hundreds of students or we're not, right. there's no way, you know, you need to do it. So that's something that I started teaching in Arizona, getting involved with, uh, using that kind of system back in, in 2000 with like Champions Way and Member yeah. Solution or whatnot. And because before it was everyone just using a, a cash and little by little they start to kind of get into right. now is just a, has, has evolved so much that uh, if you don't get involved, you'll fall behind. And, and this is yeah. for like any industry that you add. Maybe you're not in martial arts at all, but I guarantee you they do have systems that make it make your life a lot easier i remember i remember now because uh, i've been promoting tournaments for a long time and i did back then was like manually you know just do the brackets in your hand right. and then by 2000 i think like six or seven i remember that um, i did not expect a big like growth from one term to to the other the registration kind of ended like friday 9 p.m the tournament was on saturday and i i finished working at 6 15 a.m just showered just went to the tournament wow. and i said like you know what um yeah just you know but back then then eventually i saw one company was starting the strong vaughn she did a great job she was probably the first company that was she's from uh uh, New Zealand, but that was the first company because I saw that Claudio Franza was using it in the uh, U.S. Open. So I saw right on the bottom, like, man, I need to contact this company. And that uh, changed uh, completely. Like my life, oh, oh, my God, this is so much better. And there was a transition back then, too, that put in online registrations in the mid 2000 people like wait a minute i gotta put my credit card on the computer i don't feel i don't like that you know it's part of the growing pains of internet and all that stuff and i just put my foot down like yo that's how it is right now guys there's no registration at the door there's no stuff like that 
and some people resistant didn't come eventually there's no other way they they start right. coming and now um i use smooth comp which is a, a great company from sweden and they have evolved even more so they so make easier. man i cannot even uh imagine nowadays if you want to have an efficient tournament there is no way i mean there is a way you can right. do it by hand yeah. but uh most likely it's not gonna go too smooth you know if you have a lot of people but anyway it's just things that no matter what industry you're at you have to adapt to what's going on so one of the things that i like to know is since you've been dealing with injuries for so long and how this has made you stronger has built because that's one of the things that I believe that's one of my favorite things in jiu-jitsu is emotional resilience that you right. develop in jiu-jitsu. It's a personal development tool. And a lot of people that come into classes, they say, yeah, I want to get in shape. Yeah, confidence. But they don't know about the emotional growth that you have in jiu-jitsu. And how dealing with all this made you uh, an even better instructor, business person, human being in general, dealing with so many uh, severe injuries? Man, I think it's to a fact that I'm, I know what I'm here for. I'm here to be the best at something, right? It, so I wanted, I wanted to be the best at MMA. I wanted to be the best at jiu-jitsu. I wanted to be the, now I, I'm at a point where I don't get to go, like, you know, like when you train really hard and you go to sleep and you're fine. And, you know, when you train really hard and you, and you get beat and you're like thinking about that and you're like, man, I should have done this and this and this. Uh, so every day is like that for me, kind of. I don't, I don't get to kick everybody's butt and then go to sleep, you know, and, and feel like, oh, yeah, that was a good day of training. But I think that that was more important to me getting better is that I don't, everybody else is going home and sleeping well and, and like not thinking about stuff. And I'm going home every night and I'm thinking, what can I do to change this? What can I do to make my students better? What, what curriculum needs to be done? And I'm always taking notes and I'm always, I'm, I'm, a, I'm awake till about one or 2 AM every, every night. My wife goes, so I spend time with my wife and then she goes to sleep and I'm just like, okay, crack open the computer. It's time to start studying. It's time to start looking at matches, see how uh, certain guys are evolving and make sure that I'm evolving with them. Um, and so we're, I used to just like, and then I can remember MMA just sparring super hard and then just sleeping well, you know, and, and not thinking about my games that I need to take in. I think that's a really good point for anybody is that even if you have a great night of training, even if you have a great night of teaching, you have to go home and take inventory. You just say like, okay, what did I do well today? Even though I passed the guard, was I efficient with passing the guard? Even though I submitted this person, was I, was I efficient? Because if you want to be a world champion, you have to be, the most efficient on in one day, which means you have to be efficient all year round. And then you say, okay, well, I want to be the best coach. Well, that takes learning from other coaches. That takes looking at instructionals. That takes looking at mindset things and knowing that the mind is a huge player because I would know guys that I would just whoop in training. And then they would go out with a world champion. Like they would go out in, in three rounds of MMA and they would just they may lose, but they were there with them the whole entire time. So it's like, well, yeah, that's a mentality thing. You know, he may, he may be working and learning in the gym and he takes none of those losses as like effects to his ego. 
and he's going, okay, I'm getting better here. I'm getting better here. And the next day he shows up in a fight and you're like, that's not the same guy I just got done sparring with. That guy's another human, you know? And so knowing that I have to get my, my students are very fearful. Sometimes they're scared. I can feel it in them and knowing that I have to kind of like relieve them and say, Hey, listen, man, you've done all the work. Just go out there, listen to yourself, do it. If you hear something that I, I say, and you, you know what it is, look for it. And, and that's just kind of, I think how, how, how you have to evolve, you know, you always have to take inventory. What did I do right tonight? What did I do wrong? I need to work on this. And what would you say to some of the listeners who train? Cause we do have people who currently train jujitsu. There's cause everyone who's listening to the podcast for the most part, they either train or have trained jujitsu before, you know, maybe they're not active, but they still kind of look into, you know, YouTube watching matches or whatever, got hit with life and stopped training. Mm -hmm. Or maybe someone's not training right now because of injury and they being kind of hesitant to get back to it. So what kind of advice do you give to your, of course, there are different levels that we're right. talking about uh, with injuries, but what are some of the, the few things that you say to students that could be beneficial to the, to the listeners who are going through some injuries they currently are not training because of it. Um, I know it's kind of hard. It's like, you know, maybe watching your girlfriend kiss somebody else because jujitsu you think is yours. You know, you're like, man, this is mine. And they're doing it and they're doing and you. Most of them are doing it wrong. You know, you're like, ah. but I, you have to show up. And I say, take notes. I say, if you can drill, drill, sit out on the rolling. If you can drill, if you can teach, man, that's changes yourself so much. I'm able to still teach and I, I, I'm able to stay with the feeling of clean jujitsu. So I have like this feeling and I just make sure I do it until it feels clean. Um, but also watching. So a lot of these guys, let's say you're blue belt, a purple belt and a lot of times I would say, go into it like you're coaching a match, watch guys rolling. And I know that for myself, I'm always answering other people's questions that are on the mat. So they're like, they're trying to figure out how to pass the guard. And I'm now creating a situation in my mind of the best way to pass that guard. Um, so I'm visualizing almost myself in that in place with them. So I think seeing jujitsu from the outside changes your perspective a lot. You don't realize what it looks like from the outside and all the choices that you can make quicker. So you become a coach kind of in your own mind, not don't coach your teammates. If you're not at the level to coach and always make sure that you're talking to your coach and that this is okay to help white belts or help other people. But you see a lot of errors that you would make yourself as well. And now you can take this, like I said before, the inventory, you say, okay, I don't want to do, so I do that a lot. I make mistakes with this and then ask questions from the coach. Be like he was doing this. What did you do to get to here? I mean, constantly giving yourself questions to answer and study is important in anything. I, I always say like, if you go to a biology class, right? Me and you go to bio, you, do you know anything about biology? Not really. <laughs> <laughs> I know nothing, right? But let's say we go, we both go there, we enjoy it and we do some lab study and we do some stuff and then we wait a week and we go back. We're only going to remember a little bit of the biology class. And it's like, man, if you go in there and you can't train, treat it like a class, like you're in school, write down the notes, make, make, make notations on certain things that are happening, you know, and visualize. Visualization is huge. It's kept me fresh. It's kept me clean. It's kept me 
inventing new things and, and adapting things that work for me and could work for other people. It, it's visualization. I, I don't know any high level athlete that I have heard that doesn't do visualization. Michael Jordan, you know, uh, Tiger Woods, Michael Phelps, and they're, they're visualizing the smallest things. So for Michael Phelps, when he was injured, he would visualize the feeling of turning and pushing off the wall perfectly. And he would do that over and over and over in his head. Cause that's the, that's like, I guess in, in swimming, that's the, the, the most crucial point when you get to the wall and having a perfect turn and pushing off the wall again. And to know that he does that every single night and he's the fastest man in the water is, is just a, why wouldn't you do it? If you want to be the best in jiu-jitsu, if you want to be personally the best for yourself, man, do that. They've already told you what to do. It's being lazy to not do it, you know? Yeah, and talking about studying jiu-jitsu, I like to mention to my students, there's a difference in watching jiu-jitsu and studying jiu-jitsu. You know, when you're studying, that means you stop, you rewind, and then you go and you pause and you rewind again. And the way that I like to do it, and I, and I show, because we have a, a TV in our room, so I kind of like to show like matches and stuff sometimes, some of the stuff that we're working on. And I like to say, like, man, if you want to really study a match, like, watch it at least twice, at least twice. Uh, let's say there's a blue gi and white gi going, maybe for the first whatever long the, the match is. And that's the thing. You may not, may not be able to go through a bunch of matches, but you're going to more like quality details. Right. Just focus on blue gi first. Just what is blue gi doing? Is on bottom. What are the grips is looking for? Why did he let go here to go there? And right. then maybe the next, when you watch it again, just focus on the white gi. What is that guy doing? Ideal would be a third time so you can kind of like watch it all together. It'd be a surprise how much positional awareness you become. Uh, let's say you improve your positional awareness of, of seeing, letting go your hand here to go there. And that's something that I use in the vocabulary of, of my academy is positional awareness to know like, man, someone let go their hand here to grab over there. They're not doing it for the hell of it. They have intentions, you know what I mean? And, and I think this helps with the part of being injured. It's a, whether or not, you know, to study, especially if you're really into jujitsu and you, and you want to improve I feel that studying competitions is it's a great way to do it. And if you're injured, it's definitely one thing to um to put some time to, you know, maybe put a, or some some people like more instructionals, some people like more tournaments. I'm a little more towards the, the tournament side and kind of breakdown of like, man, if this if one of the best guys in the world are attempting this move and this other one of the best guys in the world not able to stop something works because the guy is doing everything possible not to make that sweep or the submission submission happen so what that is and the only way to do it it's really yeah kind of uh studying really like, and then going to lab you know i really like the way you said white gi blue gi so i don't think i've Done it like that. I think I've just rewinded it a million times and then mm -hmm. looked at white key, then looked at blue key, then looked at white, keep going backwards, backwards, and trying to figure it out. But I really like the idea of just watching the first time one person and then another time watching just the other. Yeah, I remember watching um, 
when I started doing this many years ago, I think the first time I saw to real, because I used to uh, do like, I always study back in even VHS. Um, I learned that from Mark Lehman. He's one of the first guys that I saw like studying VHS and many, many years ago. And then I started to kind of develop my own little thing of studying. I remember studying Rafa Mendes and Cobrinha and Abu Dhabi, like the first uh, World Pro they had. It was a six minutes match. You know, so there was back when people were using more 50-50 and stuff like that. Uh, And so I'm studying 50-50 and I'm watching like, okay, how is he doing? How is he trying to block? And just watching and that I remember like watching three times and 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 that really kind of expand your 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 vision of the whole match. You know, you don't just get so caught up because sometimes um I'm not huge. I I will watch, but I'm not crazy on watching highlights. Um, I want to see the boring stuff before the highlight. You know what I'm saying? Because uh, uh, what happened was someone with a bad posture and the guy just took advantage of it. That that means that's his job. That's what he needs to do. Someone has a bad position. You got to take advantage. Or the guy had actually a pretty good positioning. And he broke a grip, broke a posture, and make the move happen. It's like, yes, that's what I want to see, you know. So um, uh, I don't study jujitsu as much as I used to. Uh, I used to be, um, you know, a lot more into it. But now I, I learn a lot with a lot of my black belts. But I do study too. Like currently, like I said, we're in January 2020. Uh, we worked uh, with systems and in our school and now the system of the month kind of coming back to a kind of old school like butterfly guard that's something that it was a um, something that i that i learned in brazil and a lot of my friends use and i do like to you don't see as much but i feel like everyone should know that it's an important system that even if you say like oh i don't like to use well you better learn how to deal with it if someone is using it against you so i've been doing some some studying and uh one of the guys uh, from Poland, Adam, uh, what is his name? Warzynski. Yeah, he is a man, great butterfly, you know. So I was looking to, if you look into old school stuff and you see him right now, I mean, he's doing everything that the old school guys did, plus he's adding like his own like things with single leg X and X to it. So uh, pretty impressive, man. He's doing really well. I like, I like his game. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, there's a ton of old school guys that are really happy that that guy came out because, uh, you know, they have all this old, this old school uh, butterfly stuff. And I mean, I, I can be honest is that I don't teach too much butterfly, mm-hmm. um, you know, and so I always tell my students, like, I know a lot of stuff, but I don't know so deep into some some things mm-hmm. like I you have to study for yourself. It's like, here, I can show you everything that I know about this. Like, like I, I prefer not to leg drag as much as I prefer sweeping to open guard. But that doesn't mean that the highest level guys in the world are not leg dragging and doing the best at it. So it's like, just because I'm, I don't have the full vocabulary of this one position doesn't mean you shouldn't have it. Like mm-hmm. I'm working on it. I know this, I'm, I'm being honest with myself and saying I prefer passing fast, you know, and, 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 and standing than trying to smash to the leg drag and, and slow it because tough guys are really hard to leg drag. You know, the best guys in the world are very difficult to do that to. Um, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't learn it. It's just like yeah. you should learn the arm bar. You should learn everything the way it should be. And then if you want to add 
uh, adaptations or, or variations to it, then have all have at it. Yeah, I like to introduce different systems to them. Like per year, we'll probably go over to about, <clears throat> I don't know, it depends, maybe 20 systems or more, depending. Sometimes could it be three weeks of something, could sometimes could it be six weeks or more it depend on on the topic so butterf butterfly is just one example we're going to do for about um for about five weeks and kind of like basic attacks maintaining how to deal when people are standing when in a butterfly how to pass and how to put it all together and i just got very blessed that uh, where i trained i did most of my training in brazil uh with the underpaid and eras and novo union was a big foundation of the team was butterfly guard it's great for so, MMA too. yeah for no. sure and so i had to whether i like it or not a lot of people were playing so i i, I had to learn how how do i deal with this and never being like my main game but is a, a really good like plan b that you know like man my stuff is not really happening um and then sit up and and it has actually saved me um, in tournaments before in multiple that you know I had to pull off a sweep at the last minute and able to do it so I'm always like to introduce and again whoever feel connected to it you never know and sometimes in a bit of a scramble you kind of land in a butterfly you know and at least you you know where to go from there I, so, I think when you say like you you end up at the last couple of seconds hitting the butterfly it's so it's so important because I say to all my guys, a lot of my high level stuff works only to get to a, a fundamental thing. So it's like I do all this, this, this interesting stuff, boom, 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 hybrid guards. And then all of a sudden I land in a scissor sweep and it's hmm. like, that's what happened, man. The guy killed everything except for that. And so it's usually like some of the most basic things that I have to chain off of that I always end up sweeping with the most basic thing on earth, but it started very, very complex. You know, and I took them all out of base or balance enough to execute something. Yeah. And I think Adam's been surprising a lot of people because they probably don't deal with too many people doing butterfly on their own school, you know, so he can bring a different approach that sometimes can throw some people off, you know, that uh, the way he's getting into some positions and stuff. So, uh, yeah, man, the guy's on. on Killing it. Dude, yeah, he's doing a great job with it. So what did you say is a one habit that you practice daily that helps you in your in jujitsu, in your personal, professional life? Uh, one habit daily. I, I think that I um so I film, I have a, like a like a member site for my for my students. Um and so I'm always watching what I just taught. Um and I think that by accident, me me editing and putting it online uh, shows me it's like, man, I should have showed this. And it really helps me sometimes to like, look at what I just taught. I listen to everything I'm saying. I'm like, okay, this is good. Okay, I didn't cover that. You know, and sometimes I, I come back and I can show them a revised version um, of what I taught before. Sometimes I, I teach and I'm like, okay, this is what I'm showing. And I think I'm hitting all the notes, but I might miss one or two that I, when I watch it again, that, was very important or I, I feel like, oh man, these guys are going to need it because if they fail at this position, they need to know that the next position is this. And so just editing and, and putting out my videos really helped me kind of say, okay, I didn't, I didn't do everything I should do for this class. I'm going to show it one more time. 
Mm-hmm. So that that was big. And what did you say is the best advice you've ever received? It could it be martial arts? Could it be business life? Anything that maybe pops up in your mind? Um. So I, I like reading uh, about coaching and coaches. So I, a lot of times I, so maybe it's not the advice that was told to me like personally, but advice that I've gotten from books or I've gotten from, uh, you know, Bobby Knight, um, even though he's kind of like a, a polarizing figure, mm-hmm. he says, everybody has the will to win, you know, it only, everybody has that. So it doesn't matter. O- only the people that have the will to prepare, you know, and, and it's like, and it makes sense. It's like, you think, Oh, this team wanted it more than the other team. No, both teams wanted it equally. It kind of comes out of what you did in training and preparation, what you made a game plan, or if you did this or that, if you ate correctly, if you slept well, if you made sure that, that things were in proper form, it's like, yeah, everybody wants to win. I want to win the lottery. So I play the lottery. You know, you mm-hmm. can't complain about not winning the lottery if you don't play. And so it's the same thing is you can't complain about, about losing if you didn't prepare to win. And, and I think that was a big one that always stuck in my mind. Uh, so the book is Bobby Knight, The Power of Negative Thinking. If any coaches mm. want to read that, it's he would they would be winning a game and he would be planning the next game, like right when he got off the bus. And the, and it's don't and also don't always give yourself credit on winning in in training. So like I, I had a conversation with Laborio um, about it. It's like a lot of these guys they're they they may win in training. They'll get a submission or they'll be like, oh, okay, every, I did awesome. I won. It's like, but all the things that you did in the, in the middle of it, were they the right decisions? Were they the right approach to that? And the, often the answer is like, no, you got swept twice. Figure out why you got swept twice before you submitted this guy. Like, because those are important. That's going to be important to be a champion. You know, if you get swept twice and you can't submit the other guy, you lost. So yeah. Uh, yeah, it's good. To, I wrote because I was going to ask you about a book and then I can put this one here too. And one of the things that I uh, suggest to people when you're analyzing your performance, and that could be you can use in training or you can use, in com- especially in competition, that's winning or losing or whatever, just analyzing a performance. Number one is what did you do right? And number two, what could you have done differently? If you were in the same scenario, what could you have done different? Maybe you chose to post here. Maybe you chose to switch this specific game. You got caught in transition. What, or, you know, what exactly that is. And when I started doing that for myself, probably like 10 years ago, because uh, I was, when I was young, was younger, was very outcome driven. You know what I mean? And that brought a lot of anxiety to me that, you know, have to win, have to win, have to win. And when I start looking into more of my performance of transferring, doing the best I can to transfer what I've been doing in class to the competition and and understand that I'm going to do some good stuff and some not so good stuff when I compete. So let's see what is the good ones. And I like to say an example that someone that it's, Maybe every time they pull guard in a tournament, someone just, boom, just passed right away because they mess up their pass, you know, and then they lose. And then eventually this person pulls guard and two minutes, minutes later, someone pass and then he lost. So like, well, that's improvement because now at least you're improving your guard pull 
You did right. that right. Eventually, okay, what went wrong with the grips or whatever or your positioning and then someone passed. But be able to kind of break down. I like to break down people to the almost advantage things too. Because sometimes you kids down up, even when I'm I'm showing moves to to students from a competition, I can show like see where the guy was going. If this guy didn't post at the very last minute, this thing was going to work or something like that, you know. And so uh, uh, it's a good point that you said, you know, like oh yeah, you know, I got a submission, but what happened before, you know? So try to find the root of the issue. Not that you're not going to do it again, but the idea is for us to like minimize the chance of making the same mistake. Right. Yeah, I, I think that's huge. And also sometimes like in competition, you have these thoughts. So like the memory of the competition is that like, I remember three thoughts or four thoughts I had, you know, during that, during that 10 minute match. And it's like, why did, why did my brain think this was the right choice if it was a more efficient choice? And then I need to drill that the right choice so that when I, when I comes to a split second decision, I'm thinking, okay, I got to make this grip here and changing it to a more efficient or proficient uh, position for myself. You know, like I, I watch, well, why did I, I see my grip get stripped? I'm like, why did I grab the gi like that? I know, I know that's a weaker grip. You know, I didn't turn my hand. I didn't have my thumb up. There's these small, small positions that I lost that, that eventually made me lose the match or made me lose the position. Absolutely. And especially, uh, Everyone's listening know how the snowball effect in jiu-jitsu. You let go one grip, three minutes later, you get choked. You know, that starts way back there and then just gets bigger and bigger. And sometimes just good luck pushing that snowball back uphill. Uh, when it gets momentum, sometimes that's it. And then uh, there's times that accepting the fact that someone did something well and, you know, uh, improve our, our awareness. Now, uh, what did you say, an, an advice that did you give to the younger version of yourself five years ago when you opened your school? Not that you want anything different in your life, because I always say, like, it is what it is. You know, you made the choices that you did because uh, you did the best you could with what you knew. But if you could go back and have a conversation with a younger version five years ago and say, like, hey, man, I know you're starting this journey right now but what, what that would be. So uh, it's so interesting. So you're saying before I opened the gym. Yeah, I went about to, yeah, yeah. So I would say, you know, a lot of things worked out well for me. I'm not sure if it was just timing or if it was hard, hard work. Um, I would say it's a combination of both. I was available for success to happen. Um, and I, I would say like, I mean, I'm, I'm a very neurotic person. Like, so that helps me in coaching that helps me in teaching, but it can destroy the insides of you. You know what I mean? There's like, I have to realize that whatever choice I make, as long as I work hard at it, 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 it won't hurt me as bad as I think it did. You know, like it's not the end of the world. If, if I make a mistake, it's not the end of the world. You, you got to take the, you got to take what's going on and say like, okay, this bad thing happened. I spent a lot of money on this. It didn't go well. Or one of my coaches left and I had to do all this and I could have, how, how did I treat him? How did I do this? Um, it's, it goes down to the very fact of, of going, well, I should have been doing spark. I should have been doing spark. Mm -hmm. Like what? I'm an idiot. I was so scared to spend a little bit of money and not mm -hmm. see a return from it to, to almost feel like I'm on fire in, 
I'm working the business side all the all before I start teaching classes, and then I'm teaching classes, and then I'm doing more again. And it's like I'm doing all the phone calls, I'm doing all the negotiations, I'm doing all the things. And it's like, uh, yeah, in the beginning, I should. I agree with myself with not just jumping in full, full on like I'm going to be like a McDonald's. You know, McDonald's is going to always do McDonald's. Um, but at some point, I should have just seen what was happening to me uh, physical, almost physically, like my worry, my my me staying awake, me worrying about everything, and be like, man, it's going to be okay as long as you work hard or correct it and don't just like, oh, I don't want to look at it. You know, like sometimes when you see your your bills, you don't want to look at the bill. It's like, no, you have to look at the bill. Why is your bill so high? Well, it's because you take 30-minute showers, you know? It's like, why is your electric bill on? Well, because you left the electricity or you, you left the electricity on all throughout the day. You know, it's like, yeah, those are hard hits, but you have to, you, you learn from it. You turn the lights off. You make sure that people that are closing up are closing up the proper way and you don't make that mistake again. So I think it's the advice to myself is you're going to do the right thing in the end. So don't, don't gut check yourself every single time and have a, a breakdown about it, you know? And I had a lot of breakdowns in the first year or two. I was just so stressed. Mm-hmm. You know? And now I realize I, all these mistakes I've made, I've corrected. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to keep correcting them because I'm going to look at them, you know? So don't, don't not look at your, your credit card statement. Mm-hmm. Figure out why your credit card statement is so high. Fix that, you know? Look at it honestly and, and fix it. Yeah, one of the things that uh, um, I may sound like a, a broken record for some of the people that have been listening to the, what, 85 episodes so far of the podcast, but what if for the past few years that I've been really working on, and uh, especially with business uh, and personal life too, but trying not to label things so much as positive or negative, but experiences, because maybe something that I guarantee you that you or any of the listeners can look back and something that you said, man, five years ago, let's say that something happened that when it happened, you you're labeled uh, negative. When you look today, you're like, man, that was a blessing that happened because of that, everything changed. So I try to look more into uh, undesired outcome than uh, a negative because you never know what the negative is going to turn into you know so it's kind of like okay um it was um i i did not want that to happen um for example i mentioned mentioned a podcast too like even how uh when i started the podcast it was may 2018 so that was like two weeks before i was going to compete at the world pro in abu dhabi so two weeks before starting to uh, cut a little more weight so um you know so getting a little weaker you know and then picking up training intensity doesn't help so i end up dislocating my arm pretty bad um that was awful but i remember i mean they had to give me um uh morphine i'd not even remember leaving the school or arriving at the uh the hospital it was bad and but I know when I woke up, I was kind of uh, down for it. I'm like, maybe like close to an hour or something. And then as soon as I got in a car, my wife was driving. And I'm like, yes, and it's an undesired outcome. You know, of course, I don't want to dislocate it because I, I dislocated my other arm 
a couple of years before and I had a major surgery too. So I'm like, dude, again, no. But at the same time, there's a phrase that I, that I like and I use in a podcast too that, uh, you know, the fact cannot be changed. Only your response to the fact can be changed. This happened. It, it is what it is, man. I cannot just be crying about it. You know, what am I going to do? I cannot train. I cannot teach. You know, and and I thought, okay, and then I decide how I'm gonna utilize my time. And I was thinking for a while to do a a podcast, but like I knew that like whenever is the the right moment. I just had too many things going, and I'm like, well, I won't be doing anything. Like I won't be able to be active anytime soon. So I just look into some online courses how to do a podcast and I bought the equipment and base basically in three weeks, um, learn all that and, and release, uh, like three episodes, you know? So from that undesired outcome, I was able to, of course it wasn't easy, but from that undesired outcome. And when I look back, if I had gone to the competition, I don't know if the, the, podcast would have happened you know what i mean because i would be i'll come back or get into something else and then keep going and man the podcast if you think about it for all the listeners too so we're number 85 so if you think about it if you take you know hour uh per week to listen to entrepreneurs high performers are going to share their life experience their business experience you know um so you assume that, man, I'm going to learn something, you know what I mean? So f- for 85 people that I had a chance to learn from, and then I always, uh, I do my final thoughts after the interview, just do a little, uh, uh, basically my takeaway from the interview and I share some stuff. So I put more thought into reflect on what the guest said and then create um, some some content that kind of growth I would not be able to have if I didn't start the podcast, but started from like a very undesired outcome. So all the choices for everyone, for all the listeners, you're going, if you're going through a so-called negative event right now, maybe you lost a job. Maybe you got out of, you know, uh, maybe a, a rough breakup. Maybe right now sounds negative and horrible, but maybe could be, this is just uh, something that's going to prepare you for in a few years. Look back. I'm like, man, that sucked when it happened, but uh, that needs to happen to be your mat. So being accepting more what, you know, that's, that's what it is, you know, I can really change that. So this for everyone, hopefully you guys can reflect more on, on like the experiences that you have and then do the best to grow from it. Yeah, I mean, look at if everybody thinks who's married and happily, I'm happily married. Uh, you know, my the ex girlfriend before her, it, it hurt. You know, and I was upset and all these other things. And now I have yeah. um, a beautiful wife and a beautiful daughter, and these are the things that I value. This is why I really work hard in my gym. Like I know that I everything is for them for the most part. Otherwise, I could go live maybe knock on my parents' door and go like, hey, I'm gonna move in. Um, you know, like everything is, I'm doing things for them. I'm doing things for my students. And I think like, like you said, like the injury, you, you went into the podcast and it's like high performers, people that are, that are, are motivated are going to find something to put their time in. 
They put all their time into jiu-jitsu and jiu-jitsu is taken away. They find something else. It can be jiu-jitsu related. It could be something else related. They're going, man, use that same motivation. Use that same kind of like, crap, what do I do with all my time? What, what, what should I do? And go like, I'm going to come up with a plan, whether it works or doesn't work, it, but I'm going to be better. Like, let's say your podcast had not done as well as it has. Like, I, I, I know who you are before even talking with you, you know, because the, the mental coach is, is, of course, if I Google mental, mental game stuff, you're going to come up. Um, if the podcast had not worked out, all the study and the people that you talk to would still develop you into a better person for jiu-jitsu or for business. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's like, just because if, if I do something where I have an, this interview and it gets two views, I've, I've spoken to somebody and now I'm going to use the blue guy, the blue gi and the white gi reference all the time. Now mm-hmm. that's, that's one thing that I can take from this conversation with you and say, I, I like that idea. I'm going to do that. I'm going to, I'm going to commit to that with my studies and huge. Yeah. And this is exactly the, the idea we're getting close to the end of the interview. And as I mentioned at the end, I do the, the final thought is the takeaway, which is, get people to men if there's one thing that you can take away from the interview uh if you're listening to this like what is one little thing and now and can you apply that and this is not just with this podcast that's with any content that you're consuming any positive and constructive uh, content that you're consuming from books how many books that Man, I look back and I only remember one page of the whole book, but I remember that page and I utilized that. And that was like, man, did I really pay $30 for this advice? Or did I pay $20 in the price of the book? That is like, it's so cheap, you know, for it's just the time that you put to absorb the information but man yeah so uh after the interview for people who are listening for the first time that's what i do i reflect on what was said and create a content from five to twelve minutes to inspire impact and improve your life in some way so what is uh what are you currently excited about what's going on with your your gym and everything so um i purchased some land uh, nearby, about four acres. I'm getting. I'm going to build my 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 academy larger. It's going to. We're at four thousand square feet uh, renting, and we're going to be at ten thousand square feet owning. Wow! So Congratulations, man. Thank you. It's it, it's a lot. It's going. I already know it's going to be stress. I'm going to have a lot of moments where I got to freak out, and I have to realize, hey, you didn't have to freak out about that. Um, I am healing, so I'm probably going to do some seminars, um, but. More importantly, I'm able to put out content, so I'm going to come out with a DVD or two uh, because I've had all this time to to think. Um, and really, I just I really want to make this the gym and everybody, all my students, really the best. Give them the best I can possibly give them. So my my focus is on the the new gym, and for the other people that are are you know around the around the country or the world, I just want to continue to try to give good content to. And if one detail, like, just like you said, if one thing changes, like if I make one grip difference and it changes my game, it's worth it. So if I can give that to somebody and they can say, Oh man, like your darts killer, I get out of the darts nine times out of 10. And it's like, man, that's all. That means a ton to me just to hear that. It's like, yeah, fantastic. That's only one part of the game. You, 
get caught in darkness is only once in a blue moon. But if you mm -hmm. can get out, fantastic. And if you got that from me, then it really means something. Yes, sir. So thank you so much for your time. Okay, I appreciate it, man. And uh, um, yeah, keep keep up the good work. And it's great news with the, the facility expansion. And man, congrats. Congrats. Thank you so much, man. It was a pleasure being on with you. Yes, sir. And for all the listeners, stick around for my final thoughts. Who's Let me share with you my final thoughts from the interview with second degree black belt Malachi Friedman. If you're listening just to the final thoughts on Instagram at Gustavo Dantas BJJ, Malachi is the owner of the ATT American Top Team Low Country in Charleston, South Carolina. We talk about entrepreneurship, life, and we talk a lot about jiu-jitsu, teaching and studying jiu-jitsu, mindset, visualization, and injuries. He has struggled with multiple delicate neck surgeries. However, his passion for teaching jiu-jitsu and his family keep bringing him back with incredible resilience to overcome his injuries, to keep learning and sharing his knowledge with the BJJ community. His story inspired me to title this episode, Resilience in BJJ and Life. Martial arts and sports in general are incredible ways to develop and raise your emotional resilience levels. And when you deal with life roadblocks like injuries, your emotional resilience must be on point. Today, I'm going to share with you about overcoming injuries. If you're a jiu-jitsu practitioner, you have been training for a while, you understand that it comes with a territory. Injuries and accidents can happen during training, but how to deal with it? Before I share with you three suggestions of how you or someone you know can deal with injuries, let me picture a scenario for you. Imagine that you're at the top of your competition game. You're getting positive results and everything's cruising along when suddenly you break your hand, whether in competition or training. You might start thinking, I won't be able to perform or train in the sport that I love. This sucks. Minor setback, but I'll be back. I'll be okay. Then six months later, you tear your anterior crucial ligament, the famous ACL in your knee, which requires surgery. And if you have had procedure done before, you know it affects your energy, your mood, and anyone can get caught up in the negativity, uncertainty, and doubts. But in the beginning, you're able to stay positive. After complications with your first surgery, you go through another surgery. The recovery time is about six to nine months. By now, the negative thoughts start to rush in. Can I do this? Will I be able to come back the same? You keep working hard, being positive, you persevere, and when you're about to compete again, you tear your groin muscle. At this point, you ask yourself, what else? Three years go by, and you finally have a chance to compete again, and you win. You're feeling so fulfilled that you're able to recover from the three years of nonstop injuries, and it happens again. You tear your ACL on the other knee. What would you do? Would you continue, or would you stop? Would you be emotionally resilient enough to continue your journey? That's a tough one. This is the true story of former UFC bantamweight champion Dominic Cruz. After so many setbacks, he came back and on January 17, 2016, he defeated the former champion TJ Dillashaw, also an amazing fighter by split decision. Some people may say, eh, Gustavo, but he's a professional fighter and that is his job. Dude, regardless of the level, pro or not, related to sports or not, the internal battle that this human being is going through has to be overwhelming. 
If you're going through something like this right now, or you know someone who might be going through a hard time mentally, it's not easy building your confidence back up. I'm going to share with you three key elements that Dominic Cruz utilized to overcome his major setbacks, and hopefully these elements can help you or someone that you know to overcome theirs. One, focus on what you can't control. As I mentioned during the interview, the fact cannot be changed. Only your response to the fact can be changed. He accepted the fact that the injury happened, and the only way for him to get better was to focus on what he could control, which was his rehab. An example of something that you cannot control is assumptions. Am I ever going to get better? This will lead to anxiety and possibly depression. Do the best you can to turn this negative into a positive, which is the second key element. Two, turn the negative into a positive situation. I mentioned during the interview that I do my best not to label things negative or positive, just experience. However, when an undesired outcome happens, you need to do the best to make this experience as constructive as possible. Dominic utilized his downtime to work on himself internally. In an interview with Bleacher Report, he said, I realized I needed to focus on other aspects of my life if I was ever going to fight or compete again, much less live a happy life, shared Cruz. He took this time to reevaluate his beliefs, and whatever was good and was working, he kept it, and whatever was not, he reframed, and you should do the same. Turn the undesired outcome into the most valuable experience possible. Utilize this time for self-reflection. Ask yourself, what beliefs are helping me towards my injury recovery or in a bigger picture towards living a fulfilling life? Identify those beliefs to make sure that you stick with them. Now ask, what beliefs are holding me back or moving me away from my injury recovery or again in a bigger picture holding me from even living a fulfilling life? What necessary changes and adjustments will be necessary to achieve the success you desire? That is why it's so important to invest in yourself, attend personal development seminars, listen to audiobooks, podcasts that share information about growth, read books, watch videos, anything that can give you more clarity on your vision. Like Tony Robbins said, it doesn't take long to change. What takes the longest is having the clarity to change it. Because when you do, you basically flip a switch and you change beliefs all based on your experiences. Your basic values such as integrity, trust, and honor don't change. But opinions and beliefs change all the time. There are plenty of things that you used to believe, but you had some experience and you told a new story to yourself based on the current knowledge and values and change the belief or the idea. Take this time to start brainwashing yourself. Gustavo, did you say brainwash me? (laughs) Yes, it's all about perception. Brainwash can be bad, but it can be good. You can fill up your mind with a cluster of negative junk. Yes, it's a bad brainwash. But what about if you brainwash yourself with positive information? Your mindset will change for the better and you will build your self-confidence and believe that you can overcome all obstacles and adversities, which is the third key element. Three, believe. As Henry Ford said, whether you think you can or you can't, you're right. We believe in all stories that we tell ourselves. Imagine you're recovering from your injuries, you're going through your internal battles, and suddenly you start receiving social media messages like, you can't do anything, your knees are too thin, you won't be back. 
People who have no level of empathy, no clue of self-awareness of what it's like to be in their shoes for a day, would you go this far out of the way to offend someone? The good things that Dominic didn't hear the stories that others were trying to tell him. He believed in the positive stories that he was telling himself that he was going to recover and go after his goal again. What stories have people been telling you that you have accepted and embraced? But mainly, what stories have you been telling yourself that have been holding you back from becoming the best version of yourself in all areas of your life? Remember one thing. No one can make you feel inferior without your consent. Eleanor Roosevelt. If you use these three key elements daily in any area of your life, focus on things that you can control, turn the negative into a positive, and believe you will have better odds of achieving the success you desire in your life. We're glad you were able to join us for this episode of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, but the lesson doesn't end here. Watch the videos and download the audio of the 10 mental mistakes BJJ competitors make and how to avoid them for free when you subscribe to the BJJMentalCoach.com. Don't miss the chance to find out what might be holding you back from being your best self on and off the mat. That's the BJJMentalCoach.com.